Philosophies for Life released a video attempting to distill nine life lessons from Ayn Rand. How well does this 25-minute video succeed at its goal? Take a closer look at the video and it's clear that the producers are affording Ayn Rand more respect and serious attention than people in the media and intellectual professions often do. They're right to look for life lessons, broad guidance for life in Ayn Rand's philosophy. But the video is also illuminating in the way that it misses the mark and misunderstands Ayn Rand's views. And I think the way it does that is uh, it illustrates the ways in which her views are really radical and original. Welcome to the New Ideal podcast. I'm Ilan Jurno. I'm joined today by my colleague Ankar Gatte. Welcome, Ankar. Hi, Ilan. Another good place to start is why are we talking about this particular video? There's so many things going on. And last week as well, I was here with uh, Keith Lockich and Robert Mayhew. We were talking about another uh, attempt to comment on Ayn Rand in the magazine Quillette. Uh, we, we had a very critical view of that one. So why do you think this is worth talking about compared to that one? Well, so one, it's a prominent site, this Philosophies for Life. Um, it, I forget what the subscribers are. I think it's 700,000 K or something like that, close to that. And the video has 45,000 views or something counting. And that is, um, and as you said, it is a real attempt, I think, to try to understand Ayn Rand's views and what's positive in the views, what someone, even if someone doesn't agree with Ayn Rand's whole philosophy, here's valuable points you can learn from Ayn Rand and that you can try to adopt in your life and, and, and that that would have positive impact on your life. So it's both, it's a respectful approach and a serious approach. I think it's actually trying to understand what Rand is saying. So it's worth talking about, and it's worth talking about from what you said at the opening, that it, it gets things wrong, I think, not everything wrong, it gets things right, and it gets things wrong about her view. And it really underlines how difficult it is to even to understand a radical view, because it's asking you to step outside the way that you normally think about things and try to look at the world in a very different way. And I think in the video they get, that's part of what Ayn Rand's pushing, but they're not fully able to do it. They're not fully able to stand outside of conventional ways of thinking about things and then get that, well, Rand's saying something very different than what's conventional. Yeah, that, that earnestness really left out at me. And compared with the piece, I don't want to go back and rehash the discussion about the Quillette piece, but one thing to notice, people can go and listen to that uh, discussion, is that one has a kind of guilty quality to it. Like the, the person has an interest in Ayn Rand, but they feel really uh, abashed that they do. And so there's all kinds of snide aspects to it. Whereas this one really takes her as someone who belongs on, uh, on par with other thinkers in the history of philosophy who have things to teach us. If you look at the other videos that are produced by this channel, they, they do go for significant thinkers. It's not obscure people that they're trying to uh, uh, extract lessons from. Why don't we turn to look at, at just as an overview for people who haven't watched the video and give them a sense of what these nine lessons are before we dive in. And I think there's, we're not going to cover all of them and there are definitely things in the video that we don't agree with, but we might not talk about. Uh, so don't assume that just because we don't say something, we agree with it. Uh, so let me run through what these nine are. Um, and we're going to illustrate some of these uh, as we go with some clips. So number one is use reason in everything. These are their formulations, which is interesting to, to capture. So one is use reason in everything. Be selfish, follow your own values, don't play the victim, develop your self-esteem, be honest, earn your money honorably, never give up, and finally, always keep growing. Uh, so that, that's all nine of them. Now, one thing I will say is that the, the, these are helpful as, as succinct formulations. And I think at, at that level, kind of as a headline statement, they get broad themes from Ayn Rand, right. I think it's, it's definitely true that she was for, for reason and for self-esteem and the idea of growth as a, as a value in life and so on. So I think it, it, it's re-getting at some of those broad issues. And I think it would be helpful for people to get, oh yeah, this is sort of a flavor of what you can get from Ayn Rand. But I think it's when you get into the details of what they think these, uh, how they illustrate these broad points that we see some of the, the uh, 
sort of misconceptions or misconceptualizations. One of the things, just before we go to, to some in more detail of some of the points that they raise of this list, one of the things that I liked is it's a fresh take. It's not, okay, everyone thinks of Ayn Rand as she's for capitalism. So that's what we're gonna talk about. And the other ideas are sort of rationalizations for her economic views. And here it takes more seriously that she's a philosopher and that she's interested in the deeper ideas and that her, I mean, it doesn't even talk very much about capitalism. It's probably the most is when it talks about earning money and how to do that and how ways are going wrong. That it, it rightly then sees, it's these ideas that form her worldview and capitalism and that she was a champion of capitalism is a product of that rather than that's where she starts and then she tries to marshal arguments to support capitalism. One other thing, that, before we get to the first clip, I do want to mention I, that something that I thought was uh, admirable about the video is a lot of the commentary about Ayn Rand looks for what often is called feet of clay. So she was she had good things, but here are things that are flaws about her, and these flaws illustrate why her philosophy can't be right or sort of that whole person that's a very charitable way of characterizing it's often just looking for flaws and very snide in its approach i didn't get that at all from this treatment and in fact in one of the places where it mentions it's very very light on her biography which i think is appropriate because what you're interested in is is the person's thoughts and, and their statements and their philosophy as they articulate it nevertheless in talking about her trajectory leaving russia coming to the united states it, it makes the point that there's that she learned lessons from having uh, done this and that it was a struggle for her to move to the United States and to, to rise up and achieve her goals in life. And that there's something admirable about her for doing it, which I thought was, you, you don't hear that very often. So I was, I found that refreshing yeah. uh, in the video. Why don't we take a look at the first clip? And I think this is the one starting lesson number one, um, reason as central. Ayn Rand says, there are no evil thoughts except one, the refusal to think. One of the main pillars of objectivism is absolute reason, meaning that the guidance of facts far outweighs the guidance of faith or emotion. For Rand, the objective reality exists. Objective reality is a reality that exists independently of our minds, like any real thing existing in this world. The sun, the tree, a chair, and we can understand it through our capacity of reason over the facts we perceive. Reason is seen by Rand as a tool of survival. Without it, we cannot make sense of the external reality, our physical environment. Just wishing for something to happen is not enough. It doesn't bend according to our wishes. Rather, we need to first perceive it, analyze it, and then decide how to act upon it. However, there are still billions of people around the world who think that by practicing special prayers, special incantations or rituals, they can bend reality according to their wishes. If you are the type of person who changes the side of the street just because you've seen a black cat in front of you, or if you avoid taking the airplane on Friday the 13th, then you might be one of them. Ayn Rand, through her philosophy of objectivism, would advise you to stop following such superstitions, but rather use your rational mind in deciding your actions. And when you do, you will realize that there's no proof that a black cat or that day that was the 13th and a Friday brings bad luck. Following reason, rather than religion and superstitions and other unfounded beliefs, would make your life simpler, more rooted in reality, and more successful. So your, your thoughts on that, Ankar? I think this one is the best one of capturing her views that th there's still some things I disagree with, but it's taking 
that she's an advocate of reason and reason as an absolute. So that it should be your only guide in life, that the way to figure out what is true and what is good. Now, there's not as much stress or in this piece about your reason enables you to figure out what's valuable and what isn't, what is good and what is evil. And that's again, the more conventional kind of, that we, to say that there's, there's various ways in the video is conventional and not getting Rand's radical view as, as radical that it is. So it's not capturing the radicalness. A lot of people will say, yes, to understand facts, you need to use reason. But Rand is stressing that to understand facts and to understand values, what's good and evil, what you should pursue and what you should avoid in life, you need reason. So even there, when they're getting reason as an absolute, they're stressing the more, I think, the side of facts than the side of values. But the contrast is good as well, that it's to follow reason as an absolute is to discard the, uh, the claims to knowledge of other sources like faith or like emotion. And faith really just is a dressed up version of following your emotions. It doesn't get into why she rejects emotions and faith as means of knowledge, but it's right. But even the formulation at the start, it was something like your reason far outweighs faith and emotion. And that she never put it like that. It's not, they're not on a scale. One leads you to knowledge and the other does not at all. So it's not like it outweighs it. It's one is a leads you down a blind alley and it's destructive. Um, and then the way they capture sort of like you lead a more simple life, that that's a superficial way of looking at more rooted in reality too. It's, it's like not an issue of degrees, like one enables you to know and the other doesn't enable you to know. Um, and more successful is again, it's not an issue of degrees. It, success requires that you know what's true and what's good. And faith is not a means to that. Religion is not a means to that. So it, it's getting things right about her view, but not, getting full it's full radicalness yeah the, the, that left out of me the uh, balance between reason and faith at the beginning outweighs faith and I, that uh, is stuck in my memory too but one thing i will point out and people who once they're done listening to us they can go watch this whole thing and i think it's worth doing one theme i noticed is that some of the examples it's in the examples often that the evidence of misunderstanding or misconceptualization really shows up. Uh, some of the examples are good and they're on point. I think some of them here were they got to the, the essence of what she's trying to get at. But as we'll see later on, some of the examples are really illustrating how rooted the writers of this are in the conventional way of thinking about things. And so the way they formulate her view in their own terms, when they put it in their own words, it's just not what she would say. She would never put things in that way. We'll, we'll get to some examples like that uh, in a moment, I think. I'd say one other, so one at a more philosophical level, the issue that they're dealing with that Rand talks a lot about, that they're not fully getting the way that she's conceptualizing it is, so they put it that wishing won't make it so, which is a formulation she uses often. And another good thing in the video is they use accurately formulations that she uses. Sometimes as in this one, they quote a character of hers in the fiction and just attribute it to her, but at least it's a hero. So it's more plausible to attribute that view to her because it's one of her heroes that she's created. Um, the issue of wishing won't make it so is any worldview that says a mind or a consciousness has power over reality. So it can change what exists or the nature of what exists. Or else you have a view, and that's what you call primacy of consciousness. The consciousness or mind has primacy. It can control reality in some sense. And the alternative, which Ayn Rand called the primacy of existence, says that a mind is an instrument from being aware and grasping and knowing reality if the mind operates properly. Um, and reason to use it properly is to engage in observation in logical processing of that observation and then inductive formulation of theories and principles. 
If you do that, you can bring your mind in alignment with reality. Reality doesn't conform to what you want, but it doesn't conform to any consciousness. And when they bring in religion, they treated religion like people think that it's if I pray, like it's my consciousness that can manipulate things. And so but that's not what the religious view is. The religious view is I'm imploring a supernatural mind. I'm imploring God. Well, could you help me out here? And he can intervene and do things. But it's again, it's the in, in a deeper way, it's the same view. It says there's a mind in control of reality. And she's rejecting that. And that's why she embraces reason and not any, like you're looking for a ticket to the supernatural. There's no mind in control of reality. So if you want to understand it and deal with it, you've got to understand it and deal with it. That is, you have to engage in reasoning. So let's uh, switch gears, talk of, about some of the lessons that they illustrate that I think uh, go wrong in some very, in various ways. And I think it's interesting to see how Let's start with this one. Lesson number two, be selfish. According to Rand, man, every man is an end in himself, not a means to the ends of others. For Ayn Rand, there is no contradiction between following your interests and helping others. She even thought that when we're in love with someone, that love is selfish and what we do out of love is based on our own selfishness. When you sacrifice something for someone, or when you compromise something for the sake of a relationship, or when you went through a sort of suffering in order to gain something at the end, that is not sacrifice or suffering, as long as you take pleasure from doing that, or from achieving the end goal. Thus, in some way, we're selfish by our own nature. Selfishness comes naturally. It's in our veins. The problem is that we often act against our own interests and wishes. Someone close to you might coerce you into something that's bad for you. For example, your parent who pushes you to follow a career you don't want. Your spouse that forbids you to meet certain friends because of jealousy. The boss who blackmails you into attending team-building meetings that you can't afford to attend, and so on. You might not experience any pleasure in this, as you've been persuaded to act like that against your own wishes. Ayn Rand would advise you in this case to stop sacrificing yourself for others if those activities are of no benefit to you if you don't feel any pleasure in doing them. If you wish to follow a career in art, don't listen to your parents who try to push you towards being a lawyer. If you enjoy spending time with your friends of the opposite sex, don't follow the wishes of your spouse. If you can't afford those team-building meetings, don't go and maybe leave that company. Act in your own interest and follow your wishes and what brings you pleasure in life. Okay, there's a lot in that uh, short clip that is worth unpacking. Let's start with the one thing that leapt out at me was the I, there's a real confusion here about what self selfishness is. What is self interest? What is what, what your self-interest consists in. And it's, it's a very conventional confusion. I think it's not one, it's one we've seen before. And it, a lot of people who come to Rand assume this is what her view is. And it's this blending of your interest with, your, with pleasure, with your emotions and what you feel like doing and how that uh, uh, makes you feel. And, and I think this is something she has written a lot about uh, and this is not really her view, as presented here. It's one of the things I like about it. Again, to take that that this is this is a more than what you often see in the media, and so it's a more respectful. So it's it's right that one of her pieces, major pieces of advice, is you should be selfish in life. She has a whole book, The Virtue of Selfishness. But it doesn't start with, okay, and we all know what selfishness means. It means lying, cheating, exploiting others. So it tries to get into, um, no, okay, so what does she actually mean by selfishness? And she obviously doesn't mean that. And she has reasons for why she thinks that that kind of behavior is not in someone's self-interest. 
But when they're trying to get, okay, so what is it that she is maintaining? So she's not saying that. It, it, it remains conventional, as you said. So it remains, it's somehow, it's okay, it's about seeking what you want, what you will bring you pleasure. It, towards the last part of the clip we showed, it was, and it's sort of equating your interest and your wishes. So whatever you wish, um, that somehow is in your interest precisely because you wish it, like for no other reason is it in your interest. And that is, and it even goes into saying, and we're sort of all naturally selfish, which, it, which she rejects completely. She thinks the problem in life is too often people are not selfish and they've come to reject it as a moral goal and ideal because of the, the long, long standing uh, tradition in philosophy. So it's, she, does, she doesn't have the view at all that everybody is selfish or people are naturally selfish and you have to do something uh, to, to kind of squash that. And she doesn't equate pleasure and interest or your wishes and your interests, but that like you can see how hard it is for them to, to oh, whoever's working on this video to digest all of that that it's not it's not anything that you've heard before and the there's sort of and it's natural to sort of look for it okay well she doesn't mean that so she must mean this and you're working with your existing categories and you're going to get her wrong because she's so often rejecting all the existing categories yeah, one thing I agree with that. I think the, in the examples, I forget exactly how it's put, where she does tell you don't sacrifice your values. And I think that is an important thing that they bring out about her. She, she regards morality as a realm that does not require sacrifices of anyone to anybody. So it's, it's non-sacrificial morality. So that aspect, it's good that they bring that out. What's missing, I think, is some real clarity about how she thinks of sacrifice. And it's very different from what most people think of it. So, and I think this gets muddled in the examples that they use uh, in the clip. So for Ayn Rand, it's important to understand that sacrifice is the surrender of a higher value to a lower or lesser value or no, a non-value. So it's a net loss. And there are many things in life that most people think of as a sacrifice. They, they use that term, but it's not really a sacrifice. It's just you're investing in some long range goal. And so in the, in the short term or in the medium term, it's just not as fun as you would like it to be, or it's costly or it's effortful. And, but it's not a sacrifice. So if you want to go to college and you have to work your way through and it really matters to you, it's not a sacrifice that you forego other things in order to pay your way through college and you forego some social activities and, and so on. So it, I don't think you would come away from this video getting that Ayn Rand has a really precise conceptualization of what sacrifice is. And, and I think it's important because as conventionally understood, it, it packages together both things that are genuinely sacrificial and harmful, net losses in life, and things that are not, things that are just genuinely important to you and that you're willing to put in the effort and the cost and the time and whatever things you forego in order to achieve them. So the achievement of values in the long term, or how do you think of that as investment? And this is an important thing to uh, disambiguate for people. And I think Ayn Rand does this really well in many places, but it's, you know, there's a lot of people's lives that, in my experience are, they have so much needless anguish because they don't really understand what a sacrifice is and what is worth um, pursuing and what it looks like to pursue a value genuinely and not um, do it in a sacrificial way. So I think this is a place where it, there's a kind of lapsing into the conventional view, not really getting a purchase on what Ayn Rand's distinctive conception of sacrifice really is. Yeah, and I, I think it can't, you can't really understand what she means by sacrifice if you don't understand what she means by values and by pursuing your own interests. Because as you put it, for sacrifice for her is surrendering a value for something less valuable or for something not valuable at all. So you have to understand that what really is a value and she's not anywhere close to equating a value with what you find pleasurable or what you wish for. So she thinks of interest, what's in your interest 
you have to take a view of your life as a whole and your what you're pursuing is your life so she will often put it that the standard of value in morality is man's life it's all the things that are required for you to pursue and achieve in order to achieve a human life and so you're looking across the whole of your lifespan and thinking this is what i want to become and if you if, if anyone um has read her fiction you see that th this is her fiction if you think of howard Rourke in the fountainhead he has a vision for the the life and the career that he wants and the whole story is about him embarking on that and then therefore he thinks of his interests and values in that context what's contributing to this um th this long-range plan for my life it's not what brings me pleasure in the next 10 minutes and so on that's not how to think about interest or to think about values. They're not real values and real interests aren't disconnected from play. You don't suffer through the year after year after year if you're living a proper and moral life on Ayn Rand's view. You are pursuing your happiness, but that's not the same as thinking about, well, what here and now will for the next 10 minutes bring me pleasure or what do I wish to do sort of out of context of looking at the, my whole life and what is in fact in my interest. So she's really asking people to reconceive how they think about selfishness, interest, values, and therefore other things like sacrifice and why it's wrong. So I was interested in the lesson on uh, be honest and the lesson number six. I want to talk about that one. So let's cue up that clip because I think part of what comes out of that relates to this uh, issue about conceptualizing interests and conceptualizing how, how to think about morality. To quote Rand, there are no white lies. There is only the blackest of destruction. And a white lie is the blackest of all. Honesty is one of the highest virtues in the philosophy of objectivism, which we should try to incorporate in life. Rand defined honesty as the recognition of the fact that you cannot fake existence. And this recognition can be expressed in thought and speech. We shouldn't lie to others by speaking or hiding important information. Also, we shouldn't lie to ourselves. To lie in any form means to sell ourselves short. To avoid lying shouldn't be because you're afraid of punishment in the afterlife. Rand didn't believe in an afterlife, and through soul, she understood the human spirit capable of enjoying life here on planet Earth. This human spirit must be protected as it is so easy to lose ourselves, to sell ourselves through lying, to sell our long-term happiness for small, temporary gains. We need to live our lives by following certain moral principles, like being honest, not stealing, not engaging in activities that can harm other people, and so on. We might agree that this is a good thing, but in practice, the situation is much more complex, as emotions play a major role in our lives. Hence, we should first be careful how we listen and follow our own emotions. As Rand said, our emotions are programmed by the way we reason. And sometimes the way we reason is faulty. Therefore, we need to analyze often the way we reason, the way we think. According to Rand, through reasoning, we need to reach the conclusion that to be honest is one of the highest virtues, no matter the situation. Even telling white lies is extremely damaging. In fact, as Rand said, the white lies are indeed the blackest of all. A white lie is a lie about a small or unimportant matter that someone tells to avoid hurting another person. So let's unpack what is approximately true or sort of on the right track and then distinguish what isn't right here. So yes, does Ayn Rand think that honesty is a virtue yeah, I think that is definitely true, but what she thinks honesty consists in and how that fits in with one's life, I think there's a, there's a disconnect here. 
Um, not a complete one. I think they, they're, they're heading in the right direction, but I don't think this is exactly how she thinks about honesty. What was your reaction watching that clip? I mean, one of my reactions is you can't quite connect it to this, the, the segment on be selfish. So here there was more about, well, your emotions might not point you in the right direction. If we put it in the way they talked about be selfish, your wishes might not. So the idea that being selfish is just following your wishes, like doesn't this, what they're now saying about honesty, cut against that. And here they put it, it's, I forget exactly, but it, it was something, it's not the short term, it's your long-term happiness, which again is more how she thinks about interest and values, but that's not what you got when they were talking about be selfish. So there's, but this again, that, that these, this is a radical philosophy. The principles are interconnected and it's true that she does see honesty as a, a virtue and she sees it connected. I mean, the virtues are your means to truly pursuing your self-interest your um, or your happiness or the, the ways to be selfish. But you to get fully that, you have to see them, that they're real, these principles are interconnected and you have to get the interconnections and they're not quite getting that. I mean, the, those are some aspects of, they're not seeing the interconnection. And as a result, you don't fully get why she's on the side of honesty, I think. What was your what was your reaction to this? Yeah, a couple of things. One was this is a difficult issue when I know you teach this in, in your class on objectivism, that this conception of honesty is is not exhausted by the rule don't lie. There's honesty is much broader than that. And I think that is not captured here in this clip. It's it's too too narrow in the sense that they, while they do quote her or, or paraphrase her that you, the point of honesty is don't fake reality, they quickly move to the more conventional understanding of what honesty is, which is don't lie and especially don't tell white lies. And it's true, white lies are really black and lying uh, for gain, I think is something that's, that has no place in sort of uh, an unearned lying to gain the unearned, I think, has no place in, in successful life. But it, you know, one of the one of the questions in philosophy is what happens if the rule is don't lie. What happens if someone comes to your door asking where are your children? I want to kill them, or where where are your jewels? I want to steal them. And if the rule is don't lie, what how is that helpful guidance in that context? And I'm sure there's many more examples people can think of. And, and the, the issue then is not only that they turn honesty into the more conventional view of it, which is very narrowly about the role of lying in life. It, I think it, it suggests a view of how moral principles work, which is very conventional as opposed to Ayn Rand's view. So that I think the conventional view of principles is they just are these duties. Don't do this, do that. And it's not really understood why you have to do this. So in this case, uh, they're couching it, I think, mostly right that the point of the, of, in Iran's view of moral virtues is that they guide you to successful living. They're means to that end. But I, I agree with you. I don't think you would get that, see how that integrates. And the result is that I don't think in Ayn Rand's view, any moral principle is a duty to do anything. In fact, she has a, a deep analysis of why the concept of duty is really destructive. It's not, it doesn't have any place in a rational moral view precisely because, I mean, one reason because, and the main reason because it, it is just a rule out of context that tells you to do something and it's disconnected from any conception of what is in your interest. And, and the whole idea that you should have interest that you conceptualize and think about or, and figure out how to orient yourself to in the long term. So part of what bothered me in this clip is it, it steers the viewer towards an understanding of Rand that makes her sound like a lot of other philosophers who just issue these concrete bound duties. And it doesn't get the, again, the radicalness of what her view and approach to morality is. So just to give it very briefly, and maybe you want to elaborate, it's, it's, 
she has a conception of what a moral principle is. And it's a, it's a, a generalization that helps us figure out what to do in action. And it's contextualized. It's, it's as applied in a given context. And that's important. It doesn't make it relative. It makes it reality-oriented to take the principle and understand the conditions under which it applies and how it applies in a particular context. And it helps you with those kinds of uh, um, outlier cases that I used earlier with, you know, the, the, you know, the axe murder comes to your door and are you going to tell him the truth and so forth. Um, so that, that to me, that was just a ver variation on this theme of uh, slipping into the more conventional view. And it's less interesting. I think it makes Ayn Rand's views, because it doesn't capture the radicalness, I think it makes her less interesting as a thinker when I think there's so much here that is eye-opening for people when they do engage with her analysis and her moral thinking. The, yeah, I, I agree with the, the emphasis that they put on don't lie, that that's putting it very conventionally. It's putting it negatively. So I said this principle is connected to be selfish, but it's also connected to reason as an absolute. And honesty for Rand is about a positive and it's about primarily your relationship to reality, not to other people. So it's not don't lie, don't take advantage of people, try to manipulate them. That, to put it conventionally, also what it, it opens the door to is that honesty, yeah, it's not really in your interest, but it's in other people's interest that you be honest, you're not trying to deceive them, exploit them. Ayn Rand's view is honesty is essentially selfish, essentially between you and reality. One way you can put it, it's the, the, the way it's put in the courtrooms, what we want from someone's testimony is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That honesty is about a radical dedication to the truth in your own thinking that you're thinking about when you're when you're making decisions trying to figure out what to do you're trying to get everything you that you know is true so the truth the whole truth you're bringing in everything you know and you're not bringing in anything that's a pretense that you're faking that it's yeah i don't really know this but i'm going to think about this as well because it it um I don't want to think bad about my relatives. So yeah, fam family's always good, even though you might have evidence for thinking, yeah, I've got a uncle who's not very good, but you, you're, you're faking it in order to, um, uh, often it's to get along with other people and so on, that you're not actually pursuing the truth. And honesty is about a principled pursuit of the truth. So it's an aspect of what she means by um, follow reason as an absolute. And so what part of what, I mean, this is hard to get, to get her whole philosophy, but these principles in objectivism are interconnected. And part of that, it's more conventional. They're not seeing that it's interconnected and they go together and she's saying something new and for all of them because they're interrelated. And who else will say that it's a virtue to be selfish? And if you really think that, like, oh yeah, okay, that's a very radically different view than what everybody thinks. Everything she says that's related to that is gonna be different as well. Yeah, and again, I, I think it's fair to, to recognize, as you said, this is hard to do. And I think my motivation in talking about this clip was not let's bash these folks, but rather I think they're, they're really well-intentioned and, and remarkably, uh, good given what it's what it is it's an animated video on youtube it's not a classroom discussion and it's head and shoulders above many other things that i've read in the new yorker the new york times and other uh, you know, serious publications so uh but i think the fact that it's hard is you know we we often stress this in other contexts that objectivism because of its radicalness is hard to process it takes time to think through and understand uh and I think this is more evidence of that with, with someone who's really well motivated, clearly, as opposed to the people who, who are going in and I don't really want to figure this out. I just want to find things I can use to, to bash something I dislike, which is often something that we see. Uh, so there's two more clips I uh, we were considering talking about. Do you want to do both? I, I, think, I think we have the time. Okay, sure. Okay, so let's talk about clip, uh, the clip about lesson seven. 
earn your money honorably. Uh, let's cue that up. Rand identified two types of people in this world, consumers and producers. In her book, Atlas Shrugged, most of the people belong to the first type. They enjoy the fruits of the civilization built by the second type, the producers. Examples of producers are the inventors, the engineers, the entrepreneurs, anybody who creates something that all the world can benefit from. Without them, the progress of our civilization would have been much slower, if at all. They're like Atlas, carrying the world upon their shoulders. No matter if you are a producer or consumer, Rand believed that the most important thing is that everyone should earn their money in an honorable way, as we all need to give our moral respect to a society which was built across so many generations through the producer's efforts. Ayn Rand advises us to try and earn our money in an honorable way, to work for companies and projects that we can be proud of, to pay our taxes, and to be good citizens. And we just to, for fairness, we did clip a, a portion of that out just to, to trim uh, the length of the clip. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. A, a number of things here, and I, to me, this was who would disagree with this? Why? How is this something that's distinctive to Ran? Now she does have a view about what you should, how you should earn your your money and be independent in, in matter and spirit and so forth. So she has views on this issue, but I don't think this captures the distinctiveness of what she's trying to get at in her view. And I think it, it just, it, this is a um, highly conventional perspective on it. I mean, it would be hard to find someone who challenges this. Yeah, particularly this end point that it's uh, work for companies you're proud of pay your taxes and be good citizens. Um, she would say the first, but it's not a, a basic principle that work for companies you're proud of. You should do work that you're proud of, that you actually think is creating value. And that includes if you're at a company, but the, the much more fundamental is to do work that you actually think is producing values. And there's some of that in the clip, earlier in the clip, but they're not, getting it right, but then pay your taxes. Um, that is, that's not her view. Her view is, yes, you should fund a government that is actually a proper government, but that taxation is improper. And particularly today, when taxes are going to pay, um, to, so to put it more in the way I think she would look at it, not producers versus consumers, that's not a fundamental distinction for her, but producers versus the unproductive, or one sometimes she'll put it producers versus parasites. So that and that so much of today's taxes go to pay, um, go for someone who's productive and are given to people who are not productive, or they're given to them insofar as they're not productive, even if there's aspects of their lives in which they're productive. They'll give in, I mean, you, you pay social security and you then give it to people who, uh, the money goes to people who precisely aren't working. And it's supposedly they've paid into the system and so but that's not how it actually works. And that she thought is like, this is the whole, what she called today's mixed economy that has all these kinds of, they'll put it kind of a euphemism as a transfer payment of some people that you're transferring money for some people, but you're taking it from people who produced it and giving it to people who did not produce that wealth. She did not think of that as good and she would not tell you to pay your taxes. She would tell you not to rebel, like take up arms against the government, but to oppose all these government programs that exist today, not just like being a willing good citizen. So, and so their conception of a good citizen is sort of the person who fills out their tax form on time. Um, and like, that's not her view. You know, a good citizen should care about the freedom of the country and actively promote it and actively oppose the things that are against the freedom of the country. And one form of that is all kinds of taxes that exist today to support the mixed economy in which there's all these kinds of um, uh, schemes that take money from the people who produced it and give it to people who didn't. 
so yeah, the, 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 this is just, it's just not getting at the radicalness of her position. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned earlier that they don't really say much about her political views except to mention in broad terms. And I think this is illustrative of the disconnect between her moral views and the way her politics are consequences of that. Because I think if you understood more about her view that sacrifice is wrong, you would see that she opposes the welfare state and all the various programs under it as forms of sacrifice enforced by uh, government coercion. And so this is why she would have the views she does about those programs. Uh, so we, we've gotten a number of questions and thank you to those of you watching and submitting through the super chat. We appreciate your support. We'll try to fit those questions in. Uh, we, I think we will have time to cover them and you're welcome to submit more questions as we go. Uh, so why don't we uh, do this last clip? I think it's quite short and I, 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 I'm really interested in this topic. So this is, I think, lesson four and they title it, Don't Play the Victim. Let's, let's hear what they have to say. In the words of Rand, evil requires the sanction of the victim. Usually, the tendency to play victim comes from the need to show how much we suffer in order to draw attention, love, and sympathy. But for Rand, one must achieve one's happiness by ourselves. You cannot demand others to give up their lives to make you happy nor should one wish to sacrifice oneself for the happiness of others. In Rand's view, it makes no sense to play victim and beg for love or attention, to denigrate yourself in order to gain sympathy or love from others. In this regard, having a positive attitude is important. When we play victim, we emphasize the negative parts on how bad others treat us or ignore us, and we don't do enough to change the situation. What we expect from others influences how others respond to us. So when we play the victim, we give the other person the permission to continue their bad behavior over us. So a number of things here. One I just wanted to set put on the table is, I think there's a confusion here between uh, an identification that she has and that you can read about in I think it's all over Atlas Shrugged this idea of sanction of the victim and she wrote about this and she spoke about it in nonfiction too which is a profound identification about how moral ideas um, play, play a role in people's lives and how evil actually is parasitic on the good and actual victims enabling their own destruction that's one idea and I think that's part of what you get in the passage that they quote or paraphrase i think there's a, there's a separate separate point and i think it, it's related but it's separate and i don't it's not exactly clear how they're thinking of it that's the idea of playing the victim which is more of a psychological i mean there are moral aspects to it but there's more of a psychological issue here and this idea of uh, uh, demanding love and, uh, and attention through suffering which is something she had a view about she didn't think that was something you should do uh, but those are different thoughts, and I think they, they're kind of being mashed together. So let's let's try to unpack them a bit. Yes, so they are related, and I think conspicuous in this whole 25-minute video is they don't really get to the how she looks at conventional morality and that she thinks of conventional morality as evil. So there is a principle in objectivism that you don't sanction evil or putting it differently, that evil is able to endure because the good sanctions it. And the sanction here means the good in some way approves of it, accepts it as legitimate or okay. It doesn't oppose it and shun it in the way that it should. So it requires good people to um, either help or at least look the other way when there's evil. And that's what enables evil to endure. And part of then what objectivism and Ayn Rand is urging is that good people don't do this. You should oppose and, and um, oppose fully evil, never give it any kind of sanction. But 
related to to the so so it's a view about how prevalent evil is and how it endures her view of conventional morality which she will often call as altruism which means otherism it's that we've been taught and we've been taught for centuries and from like age two onward everybody is taught some version of the take it put it as the marxist slogan from each according to his ability to each according to his need or if you take it from the sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount from christianity which is where marx is getting it from um blessed are the poor in spirit they're the ones who are going to inherit the earth our morality teaches us that need triumphs over everything if you can show that you're in need or the way ayn rand will puts it in atlas shrug if you can show that you lack some value that other people have then morally you're entitled to it because you lack it and the people who have it and particularly not just have it the people who produced it are not entitled to the value because they produced it and that's what the slogan from each according to his ability you're able to produce things okay they belong to the people who are not able to produce them they belong to the people who need and cannot produce these things and the sermon on the mount as it's traditionally interpreted means exactly the same thing as i say that's where marx is getting it from it saturates christianity and it saturates secular moral codes after christianity and what that means is morality teaches you to play the victim it teaches you to exhibit your need and that's the, your claim to a moral status. And this is, I mean, there's a deep analysis of this in Atlas Shrugged and how this works. And so that people play the victim, there is a relationship between the way she thinks we have sanctioned evil, because the main sanction is we say this code of morality, we say altruism is good. And indeed, what we typically say is it's synonymous with morality. You can't imagine a view of good and evil that doesn't say this. Um, every morality in some version has to be, uh, say that altruism is correct, that need triumphs, ability has to minister to it. And that if we sanction an evil code, we should not expect anything but a world that has a real prevalence of evil in it. So when she says don't sanction evil, it's don't sanction this moral code that teaches people to play the victim. So in the video, the way that latter point is, there's an echo of it or some sort of approximation to it is in the psychological sense, like you do this to gain sympathy, to gain friend. And what I'm hearing you stress is that for Ayn Rand, while there is a psychological dimension, it's a moral identification about how the prevailing moral views animate people's decisions about how they behave. Because if you, I think she has the phrase, if you have need, then that's your passkey, you're, you're the morally elect or the superior. Uh, so it puts you in a special status. So it, it's a much deeper perspective on why playing, people do play the victim versus, oh, they just have this sort of psychological need and this is the way they manipulate others into, into loving them. It, it goes beyond that. Yeah, it goes, it, I think she thinks there's a relationship between this psychological need and the code, but the crucial part is that this is what we're taught. And if so, if you're saying to people, don't play the victim, you have to tell them, look, it's not just a psychological issue. It's you've been taught this over and over as this is moral. And what Ayn Rand is telling you is it's not moral, not just, well, okay, it's a psychological weakness or something. It's not moral. And this whole code that we've been taught needs to be rejected. And rejected means rejected, not we'll try to tweak it a little bit. It's a, the whole perspective is wrong. And sanctioning the victim, uh, the sanction of the victim is if you do anything less than rejected. If you say, well, okay, well, it's it's okay. We won't take it too far. Um, so we won't, it's not everything that someone of ability creates goes to somebody in need but maybe we'll tax them at a 50 percent and do that so that's giving sanction to a wrong and evil code well, let's try to fit in a couple of these questions we received yeah. through the super chat and youtube 
uh, viewer. So number one is, it goes back to the very first thing in the video that we showed. Uh, it's uh, referring to some statement that they quote from Ayn Rand. So it, the question is, it seems like there are many evil ideas other than the refusal to think. What did Ayn Rand mean by that quote that they used in the beginning? So that what they brought up is something from Atlas and it's one of the characters, but it's one of the heroes who says this, that there's no evil thoughts except one, the refusal to think. And you get in, if you read Atlas, so someone's asking about this, if you found this interesting, intriguing, what I recommend read Atlas Shrugged because there's a lot about this in Atlas Shrugged. The essential issue is that the view is this is the root of evil. Um, so there are other evil ideas. And I just, we were just talking about one that Ayn Rand thought is evil, altruism she thinks is evil, but that the root of evil is the refusal to think and refusal is important here. It's not making a mistake, making an error, getting something wrong. It's the refusal to actually engage in reasoning. Um, because if you engage in reasoning and you get something wrong, that it's a self-correcting process. It's okay, something's wrong. You've got something that's not true, or you, you think that something's good and it's in fact not in your interest. You'll learn that as you go through life, that it's okay, I've made an error. There's something false here. I need to rethink this um, and reevaluate. And if you're on the premise that what I do is think, you're able to do that. But the refusal to think is I'm not going to look at the facts, I'm not going to really engage in an evaluation of what's good and what's evil. And the moment you do that, you're really what you're doing is you're stepping outside of reality and say, I'm not concerned with reality anymore. And it's not self-correcting, like the refusal to think, um, okay, you're, 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 it's a self-made blindness, but how are you going to correct it? The only way to correct it is to start thinking. So it's for her, it's the root of how, where evil ideas come from. And I think that's what it means when it says there's only one, there's only one um, fundamental evil, which is the refusal to think, the refusal to look at reality. And that leads to all kinds of specific and particular evils. So that we have a comment here more about the comparison between this week's discussion about the, the life lessons versus last week's analysis of the Quillette piece and. Uh, I guess, I guess I hope that there are more better pieces on Ayn Rand coming. I, I hope that's true, we'll see. And then the final question uh, we can fit in today, uh, what is the point of Ayn Rand's philosophy if selfishness is within our nature? And I guess that's a reference to the statement in the video that they characterize Ayn Rand's view as selfishness is inherent in our veins. It's something that comes naturally. So. Uh, within our nature, I guess, is the way they're putting it. So just one quick thought on that before I hand it to you. That actually did, uh, when I was re-watching the video this morning, that did uh, uh, trigger a thought for me, which is they don't really talk about her view of free will. And that, that's, I know you can only put fit so much in, in 25 minutes. And, but this is a place where had they done that or had they delved a bit further into her thought, they would have seen that this is both she has explicit statements that selfishness is not inherent and it's something that has to be chosen, but also that she has a deep analysis of free will and that this is you can't really have morality and she, without the conception of that people have a choice about what uh, actions to take. Uh, but did you want to add to this? Yeah, you could have a view that says that something's natural. And it still allows for free will, though it's true they're not getting the way that Ayn Rand thinks about free will, because the way she thinks about free will is that um, we face the world afresh. So it's we don't have a whole bunch of instincts, tendencies pushing us in some direction. And then what free will is about is about, yeah, allow, sort of allowing that to happen. Uh, for her, free will is a fundamental power over your mind. It's the power, what free will is, this, this is what her theory is, and I think the theory is right, is you have fundamental control over your mind of how you're going to use it. This is part to go back to the issue of that the refusal to think is evil. 
what is good is to engage in thinking. And that's exactly the choice, the fundamental choice that you have, regardless of what your environment is, regardless of what people are doing, you can choose to think and try to figure out things. That's what um, cho the choice, the power of choice is. And morality is saying, yeah, exercise that power of choice because it's the way that you will be able to live to survive and to prosper. A view that says sort of selfishness is natural, what it will, and if it doesn't think it's like completely, like everyone's just determined to be this. It's like, if you say, um, like I'm naturally left-handed, and this used to happen that it would was beat out of people that, um, no, it's wrong to be left-handed, it's evil. I mean, the word sinister meant left-handed. That it is, and so we've got to really beat this out of people. And they learned to write with their right hand, maybe not as well as with their left hand and so on. But you could say like they were naturally left-handed and but they are now right-handed because there's this thing that was imposed on them. And so what morality then is about is, is removing these restraints and allowing natural selfishness, like the natural left-handedness to flow away. And there are views like that, but it's certainly not Ayn Rand's view that, that it, it's, it's selfishness is an achievement. It doesn't come naturally in that sense. Like it's built in to a human being. You have to learn what is actually valuable and what actually furthers your life. And, and the, it's a real learning process. It's not natural in the sense that it's like inbuilt. Why don't we wrap up here? I think um, there's a lot more that we could talk about in this video, but um, I think we've covered the high points and the points of major differentiation between the way Rand is characterized in the video and the way she actually thinks about some of these issues. I think the, the most important thing I would want to leave people with is I, I think the video is meant to introduce people to her. Clearly, it's a it's a beginner level video. And for people who are interested in it, if, if watching that video made them curious and watching this one might have done the same, is I think the best thing you can do is to go to the source and read her own work. So read Apple Shrug, you mentioned that, read The Fountainhead. And I think that you learn a lot about her view just in the way she dramatizes it through her fiction and just characters she builds. Then if you want to explore her nonfiction, get her own presentation of the views that are echoed or attempted to be portrayed in the video that we were discussing, read some of the essays uh, that you can find online. Uh, also, you can find them in The Virtue of Selfishness. So the, the essays I would recommend for people, and we'll put links to these in the show notes, the quote, conflict of men's interests and the virtue of selfishness. Another one is who is the final authority in ethics? And uh, a third is doesn't life require compromise? And I think those three, and they're not the only ones you should read, but those are a good place to start, will help you see how she thinks about a lot of the issues that we've identified and underlined in our conversation today. So I encourage people to go and take a look at those. Uh, if you're interested in exploring Ayn Rand's ideas more. And I, I hope you do, because I think one of the, the main themes out of looking at this clip uh, from Philosophies of Life is that Rand's view is just radical. It takes a lot of work to think about what she has to say, but it's worth it. I think there's tremendous insight here. And it, it, she really is challenging fundamental assumptions that people have had thousands of years and still today they're so deeply entrenched and I think some of the evidence that they're entrenched is reflected in the ways the video mis misunderstands her view or, or uh, distorts it in various ways so uh, for me that th that's the the suggestion for people watching uh, any any final thoughts from you uncle before we wrap up yeah I had the same reason for wanting to do this podcast that if someone's watching this and is new or relatively new to Ayn Rand watching the initial video from um the, that's giving Ayn Rand's life advice that it's capturing some of Ayn Rand's view but it's not capturing its full um distinctiveness radicalness so if you find some of it intriguing go to the source and that's true of any uh, it's certainly true of any philosopher, but any profound thinker, it is hard for someone uh, on the outside to capture the view because the person from the outside 
is much more often locked into certain conventional ways of looking at things. So it's hard for them, as we've been talking about in this video, to capture it, even if they're trying. So you need to go to the source and you put up some of her nonfiction. But if you're really new to Ayn Rand, I would pick up the fiction and pick up. And they made reference, though not directly, but some of what they're in effect quoting from Ayn Rand came from The Fountainhead, came from Atlas Shrugged, her two best-selling novels. And so if you find that video intriguing, I think you'll find The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. 10 times more intriguing. Yeah, I sometimes find with movie trailers, the trailers oversell the movie and you go to the movie and you, you feel disappointed. I think this, if, if you think of this as a trailer, it, in many ways it undersells the value of what Ayn Rand has to offer. So, <laughs> so yeah, don't think this is that. Yeah. All right, thanks for being with us today. We'll be back next time. And I think next time we have uh, Aaron Smith and Sam Weaver will be on the podcast. You can catch it. At a, spe a special time next week, Friday, December 31st at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. We hope you'll be there uh, to catch that. Thank you for watching today. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.